marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran. A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. Barry Peterson. You're a doc. You've studied this. You've talked to the researchers. You're right. saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized recreational No wonder you can't open your eyes. Then you stop doping yourself up with this wrong stuff. What do you know about pot? Good morning. You are listening to the Cannabis Hour. I'm your host, Jen Prokachi. Thank you for joining us today. I'm being joined today by Janine Coleman and Hannah Nelson, and we're going to be discussing the Origins Council CEQA report that was recently put together. Um, if you've been following cannabis news at all in Mendocino County, I'm sure you have heard the word CEQA many, many, many times over the past three or four years. So we're going to be talking today about what the Origins Council does, what the CEQA report is all about, and how CEQA is impacting our local cannabis industry and all of our farmers in the um, regulated cannabis process right now. So before we get started with that, I'm just going to have Hannah go ahead and introduce herself to our listeners, and then we're going to have Janine introduce herself after that. Hannah, would you like to go ahead and just share with our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Good morning, Jen. Thank you for having us. Uh, my name is Hannah Nelson. I'm an attorney and cannabis policy advisor to both Origins Council and MCA and have been doing cannabis-related law and policy for nearly 30 years. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Hannah. Janine, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Good morning, Jen, and thanks so much for having us here. Um, I am the Executive Director of Origins Council. We founded in 2019, and we're a nonprofit organization with advocacy, research, and education scopes of work. Um, we specifically represent the historic rural cannabis producing regions in California, and we're partnered with um, five regional trade associations in those areas in uh, Trinity County, Mendocino County, uh, Nevada County, Sonoma County, and the Big Sur area. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. And uh, would one of you like to go ahead and just quickly introduce Origins Council and talk briefly about what the organization is all about? Uh, sure, I can I can go further into that. So our mission is to support the sustainable rural economic development of historic cannabis produce, producing regions in California. Um, and the second part of our mission is to establish uh, legally uh, standards-based uh, Appalachian of Origin designations and other geographic indication systems for cannabis. And um, our focus uh, falls into programmatic scopes. Uh, our advocacy work is framed around our partnership with the Regional Council. Um, and the Regional Council of Origins Council is populated by high-level leadership from our regional partners. And so we have a council of 13 members, um, and our advisors work with us 
to drive our, our research uh, that supports our advocacy. And so we are a research-based advocacy organization, so we work with accredited advisors to help us um, work on our policy analysis and develop our proposals and recommendations um, and lobby in Sacramento. And then um, the education and research scope of our work supports our advocacy, but also goes further. Um, and we're currently working to develop a pilot program related to Appalachian of origin and working with um, farming groups that are interested in pursuing research and petition development to move forward with uh, pursuing an Appalachian of origin designation. Um, and so that's how we're framed and, and generally what our scope of work is. Uh, we have a policy platform for 2021 that is very um, heavily influenced by the pursuit of the uh, state licensing authorities and the consolidation that the governor's administration has proposed, um, and specifically looking at licensing and licensing restructuring um, and addressing some of the issues where we're seeing across the state with respect to challenges around licensing um, and the provisional licensing crisis uh, that we're all facing and trying to effectuate folks into annual licensing. Um, and there's a number of other priorities that we're pursuing um, in our policy advocacy this year, but that's really at the at the forefront of um, our work this year and I think our discussion today um, here. Absolutely. That brings us um, really nicely into the CEQA report because we all know that CEQA is the big issue standing between all of our cultivators and their annual licenses. So I will go ahead and just read what is on the Origins Council website here about the CEQA report. And then if either of you have anything to add to that, we can do that. And then we can begin our conversation. So in the fall of 2020, Origins Council convened a team of subject matter and legal experts to support an in-depth analysis of the California statutes, regulations, and environmental documents related to commercial cannabis license CEQA, local land use regulation, and permitting systems in rural legacy producing regions. In the spring of 2021, the OC Regional Council and our collaborating partner HCGA worked with a resulting situational and legal analysis to develop a comprehensive set of policy recommendations regarding state licensing reforms. This report is intended to support public education and awareness, as well as the engagement and input of local and state policymakers, the cannabis industry, and other key stakeholder groups regarding proposed policy reforms. So great, do either of you have anything to add to that? Uh, Hannah, I'd love to defer. Yeah. Do you have any comments? Yeah. I think that that's a, a wonderful broad overview. I think that the report itself, as well as the specific sub-memos attached to it by uh, Jim Moose and myself, go into a lot more detail regarding the intersection between CEQA and cannabis licensing, both at the state level uh, broadly as well as at the local level, the history of how our local permitting system and the state level licensing and CEQA intersected into um, 
the moment in time that we're at right now. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know, CEQA stands for California Environmental Quality Act. So and the California Jennifer, Environmental Quality Act. Go ahead. No, please. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> no, no. I was just um, the California Environmental Quality Act, CEQA, um, is either performed in a local discretionary permitting review process or through a site-specific environmental impact review in order to qualify for an annual state license. And that is where we are when Hannah says this moment in time. That is where we are right now um, trying to move our licensed cannabis cultivators, our partially licensed cannabis cultivators, through the CEQA so that we can attain annual state licenses. And so um, it sounds like the CEQA report makes a lot of recommendations for policy reforms that would help hopefully cultivators obtain these licenses and streamline this process. Do both of you or either of you want to talk a little bit more about what those um, proposed policy reforms might be or just more about the CEQA process in general and what the holdups are, what the blocks are right now? Sure. Yeah, that's what I was going to step in and and offer some background information so folks understand the the relevance of this work and and sort of the really the crisis facing our industry at this time. Um, We were really prompted to undertake this analysis and pursue uh, these policy recommendations because of the way that the state licensing framework is set up that has led to a situation where Statewide, we've got about 10,000 active uh, cannabis licenses, and that's um, inclusive of all sectors um, of the supply chain. And we have a provisional licensing system that was really created to support the uh, transition process from applying for licensing and effectuating to a final annual license. Um, there are numerous requirements to attain an annual license, um, but really paramount to our conversation is uh, satisfying secret requirements. And um, it's become such a challenge that even though we're four years into um, legalization and a, and a license-regulated framework for the state of California, um, 82% of those 10,000 licenses are still in a provisional status. And so that has really um, become an indicator of the the challenge to effectuate specifically uh, CEQA compliance to attain that annual license. And I think it's really worth mentioning that um, in California law, provisional licensees do not have a due process and right of appeal. And so if you were to face as a provisional licensee a citation or suspension or revocation of your license, there really is no um, recourse for you to appeal that decision. And so it's a very precarious position um, for licensees to be in. And so, um, you know, very, I think, critical, especially in Mendocino County. We've got about um, 800 uh you know, independent businesses, predominantly farms, um, that are, you know, in this provisional licensing status. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a challenge to figure out what the pathway is to satisfy CEQA, um, in Mendocino County. And so we really, um, 
set out to to do this analysis and uh, retain Jim Moose, who is a wonderful um, advisor and uh, 35 years experience specifically in SQL law. Um, and Hannah's been absolutely instrumental in helping us with our analysis and, and developing our, our recommendations um, and a couple of other advisors who really helped us with this. Uh, so I just wanted to, you know, sort of set the context of why we undertook this this analysis and um, have developed this set of recommendations that we feel, you know, are, are um, really critical to consider um, in terms of looking at the overall state of the licensed industry in California and, um, you know, really looking at the viability of it in terms of the licensing framework and how we can resolve um, the issues that we're facing here um, through licensing restructuring um, is really, you know, kind of what our research pointed us to. Um, Hannah, do you have any other thoughts you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I, I'd like to offer that it's particularly gotten more relevant as the intersection between our local permitting has created, you know, is at a critical juncture as to what to do with the old ordinance versus a new ordinance or both, as well as at the state level with uh, the provisional licensing scheme set to end and there being originally SB 59, which was proposed to extend it, and then now the governor's trailer bill, which seeks to extend it in a limited fashion. And one of the points that Janine made that is critical and that informs all of our work is that regardless of each moment in time and the practical solutions that we need to come up with to get through those moments in time, we also have to be simultaneously looking at will we be able to actually change the underlying situation so that we don't re recreate the same problems or accidentally create other problems that go unresolved. And that's really why we undertook such a informed approach at, at a structural change. So while we are advocating also along the way for specific policy changes as they come up, such as advocating for specific changes to some of the current recommendations, um, we or supporting current recommendations in a variety of re arenas. We really feel that it's important to simultaneously look at these structural issues so that whatever happens going forward uh, has a greater likelihood of, of success by fundamentally addressing the long-term problems. Absolutely. Do either one of you want to um, dive in a little bit to specifically the problems on a local level with CEQA? I know that that was just brought up, um, the Mendocino County CEQA issues. Is there anything that either of you have to say about that? I would love to start by just kind of uh, an overview of, of land use and, and how it works, and then I'll I'll hand it to Hannah to talk about, you know, how that's played out here in Mendocino County. So yeah, generally, that great. In, okay, great. Um, generally in California, 
you know, land use regulation is really under the purview of the jurisdictional government, um, which, you know, is a, is a pragmatic matter, right? Because dealing with regulating local land use is really kind of best um, governed, right, by the local government and, and the public participation process that's available to folks um, in terms of developing, first and foremost, a general plan. Um, which is a, a guiding visionary document really for the jurisdiction that um, speaks to the vision of the community regarding development and land use um, in, in the jurisdiction. Um, and that informs uh, zoning provisions that really detail, um, you know, various zoning districts within the county um, or the or the city, you know, as the case may be with the jurisdiction, and uh, what appropriate activities and land use uh, really occurs in specific in specific zoning districts, um, and you know, there's various ways uh, that different activities are regulated in in that construct, and so you'll have. Uh, use by right opportunities where a specific zoning district uh, allows for a specific set of activities to occur without any further um, permitting requirements or uh, further environmental review. Um, and then you'll have iterations of uh, permitting beyond that, um, depending on the, the zoning district. Um, there may be... Um, <clears throat> Ministerial type of permitting, which is an over-the-counter type of permit that uh, really conforms to specific standards um, that have been detailed regarding the specific activity and what's allowed. There may be things like setbacks or specific standards that are put in place. Um, and then there's discretionary permitting, which is, as the name kind of refers to, involves a discretionary process on the part of uh, local agency to allow for the proposed activity to happen um, on on that land, and so there are within that a variety of different levels of, of discretionary permitting. Um, California law with respect to CEQA really comes into play at several stages, and so um, when developing a general plan, um, there is the requirement that that plan um, undergoes an environmental review. Um, and that, you know, that environmental review really informs what the final general plan looks like and considers all of the various um, environmental impact considerations um, that, you know, will come into play with, with that proposed general plan. And then moving forward from the general plan, which is a very substantive undertaking by jurisdiction and is something that's usually in place for a decade or even a couple of decades um, before it's revised and a new general plan is put in place. Um, additional ordinances can be developed. They do need to conform with the general plan. Um, and so it's a it's another tool to build on top further uh, land use development and and you know ways of regulating activity within the jurisdiction. And um, sequence you know, can be rather complex, and so it comes into play um, more specifically on a granular level if an activity is considered to be a quote-unquote project under CEQA. 
Um, there are a few things that trigger that. One is that the project really requires a discretionary review in order to, to move forward. Um, and so that helps to define it as a project. And so the state of California has really um, put a construct in place in terms of regulating cannabis where the state has defined uh, all cannabis activities statewide, regardless of scale, regardless of um, what the activity is in terms of whether it's cultivation or manufacturing or distribution or retail as a project. And so there is an overriding definition of cannabis activity in the state of California as a project and therefore subject to site-specific CEQA review. And so it really is a bit of a disconnect with uh, how local land use regulation normally works and is normally in the purview of the local jurisdictional government to determine whether an activity is a project and and requires that site-specific discretionary review or whether it's an activity that conforms with um, other activities that are, uh, for example, used by right. So taking Mendocino County as an example, um, and I'm sorry I don't have the specific zoning districts in front of me, but there's an overwhelming predominance in the various zoning districts that Mendocino County has that allow for commercial agricultural activity as a use by right. Um, so, you know, really, it's it's part of the vision of the general plan, and you'll find zoning districts, all but, but really just a few, that really allow for um, property owners and, and renters of property to pursue commercial um, agricultural activities without any further... Uh, review or permitting or discretionary permitting or site-specific review, the, the CEQA requirement by the state is really kind of satisfied and umbrellaed under the general plan and the overall environmental review that was conducted to create that general plan. And so that's where we see a really significant difference between how cannabis is treated um, not as an agricultural crop um, in the state of California, and it really deeply impacts how local land use regulation um, can be effectuated, and it really kind of takes off of the table for local jurisdictions a whole host of regulatory tools that they would normally be able to employ um, for an agricultural activity. And again, my reference to Mendocino County's general plan really embraces uh, commercial agriculture as, as an activity that's in most zoning districts a use by right and doesn't require any further environmental review um, or permitting requirements. Um, however, because of the way the state has framed cannabis as a quote-unquote project um, and requiring of this site-specific review, uh, it really disallows for the local jurisdiction to um, employ this use-by-right opportunity to allow cannabis to be regulated by the overarching general plan and existing zoning provisions. It really takes off the table a ministerial framework, which is, you know, the specific challenge that Mendocino County um, is facing. 
Um, and it really puts a tremendous burden both on local jurisdictional governments and individual operators to effectuate a site-specific CEQA review. And I just want to kind of put an example forward. Um, it's, it's sort of like the level of re- review that you would effectuate for building a shopping mall. Right, um, some some kind of a development that is a really substantial um, undertaking that requires, you know, comprehensive environmental impact analysis and and substantive mitigations. And you know, we know in Mendocino County and and the the broad membership that Origins Council represents are predominantly small farmers, and that's defined by uh, quarter acre production. And so in many cases, um, we're looking at homestead producers that are really undertaking a, a cottage industry endeavor and facing a level of um, environmental review that's really being imposed by the state that's, you know, very, very substantive and um, expensive and time-consuming um, and really putting a tremendous burden on local jurisdictions and those operators to effectuate. Uh, so I know that's quite a bit of information, but I wanted to try and provide that broader context of really kind of the crux of the matter and why it is that we're facing, you know, such a challenge um, with these state requirements that are in place. Yeah, thank you so much for that, um, Janine. That was a very informative overview of that. And before we go to you, Hannah, I just want to comment and say that I, I have the zoning district's intent table in front of me here on the Mendocino County website. And just as an example to our listeners, you know, a zoning type would be something, um, for example, like rangeland, which we've all heard is a very hotly discussed um, zoning type. And I'm just going to go ahead and read the um, the intent of rangeland to kind of give the context of what Janine's talking about there. So rangeland district, this district is intended to create and preserve areas for A, the grazing of livestock, B, the production and harvest of natural resources, and C, the protection of natural resources as watersheds, lands from fire, pollution, erosion, and other detrimental effects. Processing of products produced on the premises would be permitted, as would certain commercial activities associated with crop and animal raising. Typically, the rangeland district would be applied to lands for incorporation into type H agricultural preserves. Other lands generally in range use and intermixed smaller parcels and other contiguous lands, the inclusion of which is necessary for the protection and efficient management of rangelands. Another good example is Upland Residential District, which is also, I believe, a bit of a debated zoning type for phase three. Um, The definition for that says this district is intended to create and enhance farming and low-density agricultural or residential uses. Typically, the UR district would be applied to non-prime production lands, um, which have constraints to commercial agriculture, timber production, or grazing, but which are absent of such limitations as inadequate access, unacceptable hazard exposure, or incompatibility with adjoining resource lands. So just to give a little context on what the um, zoning district's intent is. Um, Hannah, do you have anything you wanted to add to what Janine said? I have a lot to add. I wish we had hours and hours. <laughs> um, I just want <laughs> to go back. Me too, definition. always. 
I want to go back to Janine's overview, and I just want to let people know what a general plan is. It's basically that county, in our case, uh, guiding document for setting all zoning decisions and uh, making sure that the uses that are set out in various ordinances uh, or, or the the rules in various ordinances fit within the uses as well as the general plan, both intent and, and specific guidance. So it kind of is the general plan is the overall guidance document, then the zoning code sets out specific uses of what's allowable, what's compatible, what's allowable with what level, either automatically or with what level of permit. So, for example, going back to your rangeland, you know, uh, row and crop fields are an allowable use without any additional permit uh, under the zoning code. However, because cannabis is treated separately and not considered an agricultural crop, then we get into higher levels, if at all, uh, of permits that are required. Um, the other thing that I wanted to go back to in the general sense is that Janine's absolutely correct that first issue is whether or not something is a project for purposes of CEQA. And then the next step in the analysis is, are there any exemptions? And, and, and the exemptions can be, there are some statutory exemptions, there are some categorical exemptions, but one of the exemptions that is an important tool is a ministerial permit. And believe it or not, all of this background that I'm going through relates to the specifics of Mendocino County. The next step after uh, deciding whether there are any exemptions, including a ministerial permit, is to establish, to look at, okay, if there are no exemptions, what is the, the impact? And there are both responsible agencies and lead agencies that comment on that. So getting to Mendocino County, one of the complications, and this is actually true all over the state, is that we had an existing activity. Cannabis cultivation has occurred here and has been recognized as occurring here, even on a commercial basis, for quite a long time. So all of these analyses are being complicated because in the normal, and it's a uh, hilarious that I'm even using the word normal in, in conjunction with the term CEQA because anybody who practices CEQA law, and I did years ago, um, understands that there's nothing normal about CEQA anyway, even if we didn't have the complications regarding cannabis. But anybody who deals with CEQA understands that in the normal quote-unquote normal context of CEQA with respect to how the process works, you're looking at a review of activity before it happens. So Janine used the example of the, the shopping mall. Well, it's before a developer builds it. Here we have the intersection of trying to regulate cannabis as an industry in general and what are the reasonable uh, protections for humans and protections for the businesses and protections for the environment. But a lot of times it's an after-the-fact issue, particularly here in a legacy-producing region. So that, you know, 
creates a, a level of complication that is not present in other contexts of sequelanalysis. You add to that the further complication that in Mendocino County, we actually had our ordinance, our, our current ordinance in place before the state was done doing its environmental review for the state licensing. And so that adds a further level of complication. So we are trying to fit all kinds of little round pegs and square holes through triangular doors in the sense of taking processes that are already fairly complex and pretty interactive and back and forth to come up with the right combination of evaluation and 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 to inform decision making uh, that also fits within already established norms like under the general plan or 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 zoning codes and making decisions based on it and and it's really really complicated and when we add these other complicating features it, it's no wonder we're all in a mess but one of the things that we have found might help in assessing uh how to move forward to structurally change some of these issues is consideration at least at the state level of decoupling the environmental evaluations from some of the other uh licensing requirements so an example would be okay if there is a level of discretion in determining whether somebody with a certain criminal history should be allowed to get a cannabis license or permit perhaps those issues can re remain discretionary and within the cannabis specific permit process or licensing process while a larger approach to traditional land use evaluation and environmental pr uh, protection evaluation is conducted based on the property and not the person and decoupling those things may in fact help advance both of those issues being handled in a more sensible way um i i want to also go back to the land use issue and and say one of one of the other challenges not just here but in many jurisdictions is that the general plan update is a long process and in fact here in mendocino county the last time it's almost like you you're 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 saying a dirty word when you're asking for a general plan update because it's a long painful process and 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 requires extensive evaluation and extensive consideration but we all know that the zoning under which uh, our our lands are classified were were done in a way that sometimes didn't make sense in i think in recent board of supervisors and planning commission meetings there was reference to that sometimes activities that were just occurring at the time are the ones that are listed as as the zoning and it has nothing to do with what's actually going on now and so those fundamental building blocks uh while arduous and and difficult whether it's EIRs and regional approaches to, to environmental review uh, with specific tiering off of that to fit a specific 
area through a model ordinance and a general plan update and these tools like Janine was speaking about, about the ability to truly have a ministerial process that is founded in the deep environmental re review from the get-go. Um, it, it, it's, it's a big challenge, but we're at the moment in time where looking at those issues really makes sense. Thank you, Hannah. Um, before we move to you, Janine, I just want to remind our listeners, if you're just tuning in, this is the Cannabis Hour. I'm your host, Jen Procacci, and I am joined here today by Hannah Nelson and Janine Coleman, and we are discussing the Origins Council CEQA report, as well as land use and the challenges facing our local um, cultivators and everyone in the cannabis industry when it comes to the CEQA challenges in the state of California and in Mendocino County. I'm going to be opening up our phone lines um, starting now, basically, and we'll just keep chatting between callers because I'm sure that a lot of you out there have a question or comment on what we're talking about right now. So if you would like to join this conversation today, you can give us a call. That number is 707-895-2448. Again, that number is 707-895-2448. And while we wait for some callers to join us, Janine, do you have anything to add to or expand on what Hannah just said? No, I think Hannah did a did a tremendous job really um, explaining the nuances of it. And, you know, it, it's a very complex subject, but I think, you know, the overall goal for our organization is to really build um you know, recommendations and consensus that work for all stakeholders. I think that when it comes to land use and, and CEQA considerations, you know, it's really important to set the table for all stakeholders. And so we've been really trying to be very intentional about um, discussing our analysis with all impacted stakeholders from the environmental community to local government, to the industry, to regulators on the state level, um, and really try and understand, you know, what what are uh, a kind of a host of approaches that, that we can take that would really um, work for all concerned stakeholders. I think that this is in particular a policy that really requires that level of um, research, analytics, deliberation, transparency, consensus building. Um, it's going to take time, right, to to move forward with um, something as substantial as um, licensing restructuring for the state. Um, but I think when you look at, you know, the impacts that we're facing and you project that forward, um, it really does need to be addressed. And if it's not addressed, um, we will continue to face the challenges that we're facing now, and they'll continue to compound. Um, you know, we are preparing to, uh, you know, navigate, I think, in the near future, interstate and, and national regulation and commerce for cannabis. And um, California, you know, have the opportunity right now to prepare for that. Um, and I think, you know, this particular challenge um, really, really sort of cripples our state in, in being able to have a, a vibrant um, and healthy regulated supply chain um, 
both in, internally within the state and certainly when it comes to being able to participate um, in an interstate and national market. And so it's, uh, you know, near-term near and immediate crisis, but also, um, you know, working to resolve that crisis with, with a mindfulness about, you know, building infrastructure, fundamental infrastructure, licensing and infrastructure that will serve, um, you know, the operators, communities, and, and economy of, of California for years to come. Absolutely. We have about 17 minutes left, so while we move into the last section of our show here and we wait for some callers, I'm wondering if you two would like to discuss either specific proposed policy reforms that came out of your CEQA report process, or if perhaps we would like to discuss um, the Cannabis Budget Trailer Bill, which is also definitely an important topic. Sure. I mean, I think Hannah... You mentioned, you know, really kind of the crux of of the reforms that we're seeking, and um, if you would wouldn't mind um, kind of laying that out a little more specifically, so folks understand sort of what we're really seeking um, in terms of of licensing reform, and then uh, maybe I can take it from there and and touch on the trailer bill proposal. Absolutely, thanks, Janine. So one of the critical uh, and I alluded to this before, one of the critical proposals that we have is really taking a, first off, doing an overall assessment. Um, it's it's really important that, that well, one of the things, because this is so complicated and there's so many different factors, kind of working in isolation or at on-spot problems really uh, it, <laughs> it leaves the opportunity to, to have uh, issues unresolved and other issues crop up later. So one of our recommendations is to really make sure that there's a fundamental assessment from all angles of all of the issues. But within that, to propose a framework where there is a, a model for bioregional assessments um, and establish m- mitigations, really detailed mitigations that would be applicable to that regional area and upon which model ordinances potentially could be established, which have more specific um, guidelines and operating procedures and operator compliance agreements um, that are uh, utilized as a part of those model ordinances. and. Another key component of our recommendations is to use public money to fund the program and the environmental review. And we have a variety, and this was actually before, long before the trailer bill um, issues came out, and I'll be looking forward to hearing Janine let everybody know about the specifics of that. But um, regardless, we feel like it's an important tool to uh, have the state and broader communities shoulder the financial burden at uh, of looking at these deep assessments and reviews and to make it as efficient as possible, both for lo- local jurisdictions and then on the individual applicants. And at the same time, we had proposed mechanisms that could, in fact, repay those funds through the cultivation income that would 
would be uh, generated through the licensing. And there's another important part here is, you know, key to everything that we're doing is our belief that having a sensible regulated system, including robust environmental review, that is actually possible for the individual operator to adhere to. And it is going to be more protective of the environment than setting up or perpetuating systems that make it incredibly difficult and incredibly expensive and incredibly complicated for somebody to adhere to. I'm seeing more and more people drop out of the regulated market because they're just saying, mm-mm, can't, there, too many conflicts, too many uh, unknowns, no answers, no progress. So anyway, sorry, that's a larger thing. At any rate, I, I, I think that one of our ideas is if we have these deep environmental reviews at the bioregional level and then potentially some model uh, local ordinances, um, the, the local jurisdictions could tear off of the bioregional environmental report and potentially be able to use the tool of ministerial licenses at the state level and then essentially have the very specific programmatic requirements at the local level. Um, We do feel like it's incredibly important to extend the provisional licensing program at the state and to allow sufficient time for these fundamental problems to be resolved. Not just kicking the can down the road for some undetermined amount of time or without having a specific proposal to rework it um, and and a functional way to rework it. So actually that's a perfect segue into uh, Janine handling the trailer bill issues. Yes, and really quick, before we segue over to that, I just want to say that we have a caller. So I'm going to quickly take this caller here, and then after we address their question, we will move to discussing what Janine has to say about the trailer bill. So hi, caller. You are live on the Cannabis Hour. Thanks for joining us today. Well, hi. Thanks for taking my call. And I wanted to find out if your guests could please speak to... Uh, how all of um, uh, the California code regulations and CEQA uh, apply to uh, the recent uh, rezoning to create the Cannabis Accommodation Combining District uh, here in Fort Bragg, um, getting hyper-local, um, uh, and how that, that public hearing um, was scheduled for June 3rd and is now canceled for the time being. Is it possible, please, for your guests to address how, um, uh, if they know, the impacts of, of how CEQA plays into this whole um, uh, changing of the accommodation? Uh, I would be happy to hear what they have to say about that. Well, yeah, thank you, Paula. That's a great question. I, I think I can take a stab at it, although this is a rather complex um, issue. What I can say is that the Mendocino County Cannabis 
uh, ordinance that's in place now, as well as the companion uh, zoning ordinance related to it. So 10A17 is the cannabis uh, specific ordinance and 20.242 is the companion uh, zoning ordinance. Uh, laid out in that are the ability to uh, create both what is colloquially called opt-out and opt-in zones. They are the, re the combining districts. And so each area can get together and there are specific rules about percentages and petitions and whatnot and either ask the county and the going through the planning commission specifically and then through the board of supervisors whether or not an area can uh either say no we don't want cannabis here even though under normal circumstances the zoning code currently allows for it or yes we would like it here uh even though the current zoning code does not those changes were subject to CEQA, the actual change in the law that allowed those quote-unquote opt-in or opt-out processes to occur in different micro uh, regions or neighborhoods uh, were, it was subject to CEQA in terms of the analysis um, tiered off of the MND. And then additionally, each specific petition to either opt in or opt out has to go through the planning commission and the board of supervisors and it is analyzed in the context of uh the ordinances and the zoning code and the specific rules for the petition i hope that answers it Thank you, Hannah, for taking a stab at that great question. So we have um, time for about one more caller. So if you're out there and you've got a question or a comment on what we've been talking about today, the number here to join us is 707-895-2448. That is 707-895-2448. And while we see if anyone um, has one more question for us, Janine, would you like to talk about the trailer bill for the last little bit of our time here today? Sure, happy to do that. Um, and I think that I might limit my comments or at least try and prioritize them because of the limited time. Um, you know, as Hannah mentioned, it's absolutely essential because we do not have any concrete proposals um, on the table to reform the state licensing structure in such a way to address the challenges that stem from this overarching site-specific CEQA requirement um, that's tied to the state license at present. And so in that context, you know, it is absolutely essential from our perspective that the provisional licensing program be extended. Um, you know, what's proposed in the trailer bill at present is an indefinite extension for the ability of the licensing authority to renew um, existing provisionals that are currently in the system. 
Um, and then any new provisional licenses that come online um, between now and July uh, of next year, which is when the trailer bill language proposes to terminate the ability to apply for a new provisional license. Um, I really need to emphasize something here, though, which is that there is a concurrent um, recommendation <coughs> or, sorry, proposal that's in the trailer bill language that um, as per this language getting signed into law, which could be as soon as um, being in effect uh, <clears throat> in in mere four weeks from, from today, essentially, um, any new applicant for a provisional license that is uh, seeking a cultivation license specifically would be required to have an applicant-signed uh, draft lake and stream bed alteration agreement with the Department of Fish and Wildlife. And for folks that are not aware of really what's involved in getting to that particular benchmark, um, it is a minimum, I would say, one year to, you know, upwards to three-year process to really uh go through the process with the Department of Fish and Wildlife and negotiate what amounts to a contract um, that is um, jurisdictional to your entire property and has terms for mitigation that you're committing to effectuate, regardless of whether or not you actually continue to pursue um, or even achieve a local permit and state licensing for a commercial cannabis business on site. And so, um, the, you know, the terms and the work associated with the Lake and Stream Bed Alteration Agreement, uh, you know, really frequently it's tens, upward to hundreds of thousands of dollars of work um, for the property owner to effectuate. And so it's a really tremendous benchmark um, to attain, uh, particularly to apply for a new provisional license. And so um, really when you look at those two kind of provisions in context with each other, um, one, the proposal to close the door to new applicants for provisional licensing essentially a year from now and to require this, uh, you know, applicant signed, meaning that the applicant has, um, you know, gone through the negotiative process with the agency after submitting, you know, their application, which is in and of itself an extensive um, process, uh, to, you know, agree to the terms uh, of, of this contract and have that in place um, really effectually closes the door to, uh, you know, new um, cultivators that are interested in signing up for the provisional um, program. And, and quite frankly, because of the cost and the timelines associated with um, effectuating an annual license, um, not having the ability to operate under a provisional license and earn while you're hitting compliance benchmarks, from our perspective, is, is effectively closing the door, um, particularly to legacy producers um, in California. And we think there are a lot of, you know, really severe um, impacts from this proposal, um, particularly for the environment. You know, we have a, a pretty... Um, 
you know, crisis pitch, I would say, you know, problem in rural California when it comes to widespread illicit cultivation and the impacts of that um, on the environment. And so, you know, our perspective from our organization is that licensing is the paramount tool to really address the public health and safety and environmental crisis of uh, illicit production in, in rural California and giving, making sure that the barriers to entry are not so high that we are effectively closing the door to those operators that would stand up and want to move forward into licensing um, to remove that opportunity, um, particularly from, you know, uh, modestly resourced, uh, small would-be independent businesses and particularly homestead producers um, at this stage um, in, you know, California licensing and regulation without a proposal to really reduce the barriers to entry and reframe and retool the state licensing structure. Um, is really, really of grave concern for us. And so I really wanted to highlight that as kind of our top issue um, with respect to the trailer bill proposal. Thank you so much, and, Janine. We have just two minutes left here. Yeah, go ahead, Hannah. Um, we're just going to, I'll take this comment from you and then we'll just wrap right after. Okay, and, and boy, like I said earlier, it would be great if we had hours to talk about this. One of the things that I wanted to piggyback on with, with respect to what Janine just said is that we're not recommending a free-for-all or non-compliance with lake and stream bed alteration agreements or anything of the sort. We're not suggesting that people should not be subjected to uh, the important reviews that are, 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 are necessary. What we are suggesting is that the way in which the benchmarks are created and the timelines, both for existing license holders as well as to allow for new entry, are looked at so that practical compliance and consideration for the highly technical work that's involved, the reports, the experts, the negotiations, because terms can really vary all over the place from place to place. That's what we're saying is let's look at what those benchmarks are and not just uniformly suggest things that are not achievable, which will drive people out of the regulated market. Absolutely. Thank you, Hannah. I could not agree more with that. And um, this has been another episode of the Cannabis Hour. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you to Hannah Nelson and Janine Coleman of the Origins Council and MCA for reviewing the sequel with us. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willitson Dukaya 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.